Hello everyone and welcome to the first ever episode of the Dr. Smith Show. So the goal of this podcast is to make biology and medicine easy to understand for everyone. And what I'd like to do is to describe in a mostly jargon-free way how the body works and how diseases affect these functions. What I mean by that is what's happening in your cells when they're healthy versus what's happening in your cells when you have cancer or other diseases and how that relates to and affects your body as a whole. But before we go any further, I want to say that I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a PhD, therefore this podcast is for informational purposes only, and none of this information is intended to treat or diagnose any medical conditions. So with that out of the way, what about format? So initially, I'd like to do a kind of mini-series called What is Cancer? where I'll start out by introducing the cell and its functions and then go into cancer and other diseases and kind of use them as a tool to get a better understanding of how the body works by looking at what happens when it goes wrong. And further down the line, I'd also like to do some shows where I'll highlight a breakthrough in science and medicine and put it in the context of the disease itself and what this might mean for patients and the field and kind of build upon the basics which we'll be going through in these early episodes. Anyway, this is my first outing into the podcast world, so I'm not saying forget everything I just said, but these plans are certainly subject to change, and I won't know what to change unless you guys let me know what you think, either in the iTunes comments section, or on Instagram, slash the Dr. Smith Show, or on Twitter, at the Dr. Smith Show, Oh, and um, one further thing. It might be helpful to have a pen and paper handy. Before you're like, oh no, I'm in my car. I listen to this show on the way to work. I can't be drawing pictures. You don't need to. Um, Any drawings which I make, I'm going to post ahead of time on Twitter and on Instagram. And these are just going to be really simple drawings. I I find it easier to learn if you draw things out. Um, It's going to be one basic drawing per show. So, for instance, in this first show, it's going to be a drawing of the cell. Having some kind of like spatial understanding of where things are happening just makes science easier to understand generally. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Um, draw pictures if you want. Don't if you don't. I think you're going to be able to understand it either way. Hope you enjoy it. And with that, uh, let's get on with the first episode in the What is Cancer series. The episode is called The Cell. Welcome to episode one, The Cell. So although this is the What is Cancer series, I'm not going to get too much into cancer, at least not into episode two. What I'd like to do here is just explain what cells are and some of the functions that they have, the important things that they do, and then kind of fit the cancer stuff into this model which we make. So one question is, what are cells? put it simply, 
cells are the units with which our bodies are made up kind of like the biological equivalent of a lego brick and you have literally trillions of them they stick together to build about just about everything you see in the mirror and everything on the inside too this includes your skin your organs veins and other blood vessels your bone literally everything and within each of these bodily systems you have an array of different cell types uh, which have wide-ranging functions from general cellular housekeeping tasks that all cells must perform to specific functions which are unique to the organ which they are in. In fact, this situation becomes so complex that people spend their entire life just studying one aspect of one cell type. So how do we simplify this? I mean, I'm probably not doing a great job of convincing you that this is easy to understand, right? But it's not absolutely necessary to understand all of these things to understand what cells are and how cancer and other diseases affects them and how that affects their associated systems. Well, if we talk in broad terms, there are really only two kinds of cells. You have adherent cells, as the name suggests, they stick together, and non-adherent cells, cells that don't stick together. Oh, and um, just before I go any further, just one more point on format. Throughout these shows, I'm going to use the correct words for everything. That's not me being condescending and being, ooh, look how much I know about science. It's just to help you guys be able to look up this stuff online and get more information about it if you're interested. So anyway, um, you have adherent cells and non-adherent cells. But simply, adherent cells are the Lego bricks of the body. They stick together, make up all the solid structures, so your bone, organs, and skin, and your non-adherent cells, well, they don't stick together. They make up the fluids of your body, such as the blood and the lymph. If you're not familiar with the term lymph, it's a clear fluid that contains many of the cells of the immune system, such as your white blood cells. It actually flows through a separate circulatory system, distinct from your veins and arteries which carry your blood around. This is called your lymphatic system. And it's kind of interesting to think about because you, you have your, your arteries and veins which carry your blood around and you have your airways which you know carry oxygen into your body but your lymphatic system is this totally separate system and it actually has several key roles in your body so one um, I've already touched upon immune response another one is fat absorption and also removing excess fluid from around your cells so basically preventing you from swelling up like a balloon so in terms of cancer and perhaps unsurprisingly most of your cancers are not occurring in your non-adherent cells, occurring in your adherent cells. Because these cells, your Lego bricks, are able to stick together to form tumors. And your cells, be they adherent or non-adherent, be they of the brain or the lung, vary widely. They all start from one cell, the fertilized egg, or in hard to fathom uh, science terms, a zygote. So the egg, or zygote, once fertilized, divides and divides. So one cell will become two, and two become four. And in the next episode, we'll get into how cell division works, because as you can imagine, 
cancers and cell division are quite intimately linked. Anyway, these cells keep dividing until you have this small population of stem cells. Stem cells are a word that gets thrown around a lot and not described very well. Stem cells, and in this case we're talking about embryonic stem cells, are cells that just haven't decided what they want to be yet. I'm often referred to as your progenitor cells. They're the cells which everything springs from. And through a process called differentiation, so another fancy science term, just means deciding what you want to be. Your cells decide to become all of the different cell types in your body. So through this process, your cells, your stem cells, differentiate into those of your skin, your blood, your organs, your bone, pretty much everything. And if that sounds familiar to my earlier description of cell types, it should, because stem cells make up all of those different cell types, and they all arise from the fertilized egg, which is kind of your master stem cell, where all of your cells spring from. Oh, and just uh, one thing, don't confuse embryonic stem cells with adult stem cells, which are kind of around in everybody's body throughout their lives. And they have some similar attributes, but basically they're around for repair. So what happens when once one of these stem cells decides what it wants to be? Well, they have to live this decision because there's no going back. Well, almost no going back. And that's something I'm going to touch on a little bit later on. And that's really the reason why stem cells and cancer are linked. Another pertinent question, though, is how do stem cells know what to become? Well, that all comes down to self-signaling. And although I'm not going to get into stem cell signaling much here, it bears many similarities to cancer cell signaling, which I'm going to talk about a lot in this series. The primary reason for this similarity is that a stem cell decides to become, say, a cell lining the lung, or for anyone who wants to read further, these are called epithelial cells, and they form the lining of things in your body, they're also the cell type which most often becomes cancerous. So these epithelial cells, these are, let's say this epithelial cell is one line in the lung, in order for it to become cancerous, it actually gains, or should I say regains, many aspects of the stem cell, or stemness and also gain some new functions along with it. So rather than being a cell which is just forming this ordered layer which lines your lung, it's able to break free from these boundaries, so being able to break contact inhibition, if you want to read more about that. And by breaking these boundaries, it then can divide uncontrollably and form solid masses or tumors. Or it can leave the area altogether and move and populate tumors in other parts of the body. This process you've probably heard of is called metastasis. And in order to be able to do this, the cell needs to be somewhat reprogrammed. It needs to be able to have a different function, the function of being able to grow outside of its boundaries, to be able to move to a different part of the body and be able to survive in this new environment, in this distant part of the, part of the system. 
And these are many of the same attributes which stem cells possess, and it's also the reason why there are many aspects of cancer cell signaling and stem cell signaling which are so similar. Anyway, before we go too far down that path, I think that gives a pretty good overview of what cells are and how development fits into cancer. What about the cells themselves? What's going on there? Well, regardless of the cell type, most of the major internal components are pretty much the same. Okay, so here comes the drawing part. So go and get your uh, pen and paper. About a legal pad size is fine. Or, or don't because um, I've posted these this drawing up on Twitter slash the Dr. Smith Show and on Instagram at the Dr. Smith Show. But if you are able to grab a pen and paper, I think it does make it easier to understand at least spatially, you know, what's going on within the cell and where it's going on. You can kind of compartmentalize the different aspects of cells and their function if they're all drawn out. So like, oh, okay, this happens in this part of the cell or, you know, that happens in that part of the cell. So anyway, let's draw an oval, say, on a legal pad sized piece of paper. Maybe turn it landscape. And this oval, unsurprisingly, represents your cell. And you can label the line of this oval uh, the plasma membrane. And your plasma membrane is essentially a cell wall. But don't think of it as a solid wall. It's kind of like a fluid wall which contains lots of different components allowing things to travel from one, one side of it to the other. So it allows a cell to communicate with the, the outside world. Then within your big oval, within your plasma membrane, draw a smaller circle, maybe in the middle, towards the bottom. Leave a good amount of space within this circle, but also a good amount of space outside of it. And this circle, you label your nucleus. Now everything that's outside of this circle, but within the plasma membrane, you can label your cytoplasm. S-Y-T-O-P-L-A-S-M. And finally, label one thing within your nucleus, so within your smaller circle, and that's going to be your DNA. It's also going to be the first thing that we have a look at here. And then, you know, feel free to, you know, add little notes to your drawing as we go if you need to. So let's look at perhaps the most fundamental question that arises from this drawing, and that's what is DNA? DNA, like stem cells, is a term that's thrown around a lot to advertise a supplement or make someone who's writing a news article sound very, very smart, very professional, and oh, they're talking about DNA, they must know what they're talking about. But few people actually hit upon what it actually is and why it's actually important. So DNA is essentially the code of life, and it's organized into what they call chromosomes. You have 23 pairs of chromosomes. You have one set from your mama and the other set, 23 from your data, and you end up with two copies of most of your genes in this way. And this leads to the reason why kids look like their parents, but also the blending of these two sets of genes, your mama genes and your dad genes, is also why kids also look like their own individual being. They're a mixture of the two. Okay, so you have these 23 pairs of chromosomes which are made predominantly of DNA. And the DNA of these chromosomes is organized into genes. The DNA surrounding these genes controls when a gene is switched on 
or off and for how long. Okay, so have I lost you yet? Well, let's unpack that statement a little bit. So I think everyone has heard of genes. The word gets thrown around a lot, but it rarely comes attached to an explanation of what a gene actually is. It's like DNA and stem cells and everything else. And I hope this is where the podcast is going to be useful. A gene is simply a code made of DNA. The code specifies a string of amino acids. Again, supplement jargon, it sounds like. These amino acids um, are folded into a protein. And proteins are your machines of the cell. And they play a key role in pretty much everything cells do. And ergo, what your body does as a result. We'll get into proteins and some of the jobs they play later on. First, let's look a little more closely about how DNA is read to make proteins. And for this, let's go back to your drawing of a cell. So your DNA is in the nucleus and it's made up of genes, which are the codes for all of your proteins. And this process goes through two steps. The first one is called transcription and the second one is called translation. So transcription is where a copy of the gene is made and this copy is called RNA, which is almost exactly the same as your DNA, except your RNA, this kind of uh, mirror copy of your DNA, now leaves your nucleus. If you go back to your drawing, you have your RNA leaving the nucleus, and it goes into the cytoplasm. And this next step is where your RNA is read. So your RNA is a copy of your gene, and it is read. This step is called translation. You're translating the RNA sequence into your string of amino acids. And then this process, so this process, because you've left the nucleus, is occurring in a cytoplasm. This is where your amino acids are being folded and they're becoming proteins. So the next logical step is to look at amino acids and proteins and the roles that they play. So you've probably all heard of amino acids and proteins and that eating them is good for you. But I think it's interesting to consider the reason why that might be. Well, first off, whether you are eating proteins in meals and dairy um, or taking them in over-the-counter amino acid supplements from your favorite health food store, um, the proteins will invariably be broken down in your body back to its base amino acids either way. And this is kind of a recycling process. So you are eating these protein machines from plants or animals and then your body is breaking those machines down into their component parts, kind of like scrap metal, and then stringing the amino acids, stringing these component parts back together and folding them into machines which are useful for functions in your cell, in your body. So let's look at a, um, a few of the jobs that your protein machines do. Now, if we're being thorough, this would be a huge list as proteins play a key role in pretty much every process in the cell and go in the body. But let's look more closely at a couple of examples. So one that should be somewhat familiar is breaking down the food you eat in the digestive tract. By breaking down proteins, say from a steak, you get the amino acids for stringing together proteins coded by the different genes in your cells. So you take your steak protein, you break it down, you get your amino acids, your cell reads the gene, it strings the amino acids back together, and it makes 
whatever that gene codes for. Likewise, your carbohydrates, like those from fruit and grains, are broken down into glucose, which is the primary energy source for your cells. As you may guess by this point, the workhorses which break down these foods are the proteins themselves, and the proteins in this case are called digestive enzymes. I guess the next question is, what are enzymes? Well, enzymes act as catalysts to speed up chemical reactions, which will probably occur anyway, eventually, but not at a useful rate. In fact, enzymes often make the reactions occur thousands of times faster by providing an ideal environment for the reaction to proceed in the first place. Well-known example of this is the digestive enzyme lactase. So imagine you've all heard of lactose, as so many people, including me, are lactose intolerant. In fact, some estimates say around 65% of the population actually suffer from lactose intolerance, at least to some degree. So what is lactose and why don't we tolerate it well? Well, lactose is the sugar which is found in a lot of dairy. Note the O's, so if it's a sugar, it always ends in O's, O-S-E. And like all things you eat, lactose is broken down in the gut by digestive enzymes. In this case, by enzyme called lactase. So maybe we had lactose, O's is the sugar. Well, A's is an enzyme or your catalyst. And lactase, like all enzymes in the body, catalyzes the reaction. And this reaction is breaking down lactose sugar into two smaller sugars. Well, the first of these sugars we've already touched, touched upon, and you were probably already familiar with, and that one is called glucose, which is found in sports drinks. The other one it's broken down to is not so familiar, perhaps. It's called galactose. But anyway, during infancy, the lactase enzyme is produced by cells in small intestine and in large quantities to deal with all the lactose in the milk that the infant is consuming. During adulthood though, lactose production is reduced. These people are lactose intolerant. On a side note, all the belching and farting is due to the gases given off by bacteria in your gut which is breaking down the lactose because your lactase is absent or at low levels. And the lucky folks that avoid the belching and farting, well, remember how I said the DNA surrounding the gene was responsible for regulating how often and for how long a gene was switched on? Well, this primarily works by proteins binding to these regions of the DNA and increasing and or decreasing how often this DNA is read and made into RNA and the RNA is codes a string of amino acids which is folded into proteins. So people who are lactose intolerant, or should I say people who are not lactose intolerant, it's because their lactase gene keeps on firing away as if they were an infant. And the reason for this is, is because they have a change in these regions surrounding the DNA, surrounding the lactase gene. And these changes are referred to as mutations. And these mutations, in this case, means that the lactase gene is switched on more often, ergo their lactose production stays high even outside of infancy. And this results in less farts. 
All right, so that um, concludes the first example of the jobs that proteins do. And I think the, the lactase example can be applied to uh, many enzymatic functions in the body. But for our next example of jobs that proteins do, let's introduce a new concept and something which is, I, I guess, a lot more important in cancer. That's the concept of cell signaling. And for this, let's make a few additions to the drawing that you have. Grabbing your uh, pen and paper, or just uh, having a look at the images I've posted online. In your outer circle, your plasma membrane, when you draw a little square there, and the square you're gonna label as your receptor. So receptors are basically just things that proteins, um, growth factors bind to, they're proteins themselves, and they become activated or inactivated as a result. And this activation propagates a signal. The signal is passed on to more proteins within the cell, which are then passed on to more proteins. So let's kind of draw that in as well. So let's draw two arrows pointing out from the bottom of the square. So say one pointing out diagonally towards the left, and below that one you can draw a triangle, and the other one diagonally towards the right, which you can say it can be a diamond. So your square receptor, and then you've got two arrows pointing downwards away from that. On one side you have a triangle, the other side you have a diamond. And then draw two more arrows going directly downwards into the nucleus. And then draw another triangle and another diamond. And essentially what you've got there is you have a receptor which is activating two pathways downstream. One's your triangle pathway and the other one's your diamond pathway. And the pathways are terminating in the nucleus where your DNA is. And the reason why I've drawn the pathways out like that is two reasons. So one is you notice you have your triangle pathway, you have your diamond pathway. Well, this is to impress upon you that when you activate a receptor upstream, that actually activates a multitude of different pathways downstream. The other reason for drawing two is that these pathways actually talk to each other. So there may be instances where one of your triangles activates one of your diamonds or vice versa. Likewise, your triangle pathway could inhibit your diamond pathway. The point is there's a lot more complexity to this than perhaps meets the eye. But the principle of how signaling works is fairly straightforward. It's just a relay system. You have a receptor which is activated usually on the cell surface, and then that goes on and on and on. One protein activates another, which activates another, which activates another. And the second thing you may notice is that your triangle and diamond pathways terminate in the nucleus. Now, this is not always the case, but in a great many pathways, and especially pathways which are associated with cancer signaling, this is the case. And the reason for this is, is that often activation of a receptor upstream, that's a change in the environment outside of the cell that the cell may need to respond to. So as a result, these growth factors or other ligands, so ligands are just things that bind to receptors, latch onto the receptor and cause its activation. And then your cell is responding to this change outside of the cell. So your signal propagates, your one triangle activates another triangle and so on. When it terminates in the nucleus, 
quite often this terminal triangle, this terminal diamond, this activated protein will bind directly to the DNA. So remember when I was talking about genes and how the area of DNA outside of those genes is responsible for their regulation? Well, this is how it's regulated. Proteins which are activated within the nucleus, part of one of these cell signaling cascades, actually bind directly to your DNA and switch genes on, switch genes off, increase how much or decrease how much of the gene is transcribed and therefore how much, uh, w which proteins are made to which ligand binding to which receptor upstream. So basically as a result of something binding to a receptor, that's initiating a response by the cell which results in genes being activated and proteins being made which can then respond to what that change in environment is outside of the cell. So I think that gives like an overview just of how cell signaling works in basic terms. And just before we finish this episode, I wanted to introduce an, the next example of what proteins do. And this is going to be a more cancer-specific one. And this is the MAP kinase pathway. Again, you notice the A's at the end. So this means they're enzymes, of course. So enzymes are catalysts. And this is going to be a familiar theme with signaling pathways. So I'm really going to start getting into the pathway and why it tends to be so important in cancer next week. But I just want to go through a few little bits ahead of time that maybe you can think about before the next episode is released. So the MAP kinase pathway is a controller of cell division. And so how often one cell divides into two cells. And so this pathway is a controller of cell growth. When this pathway is switched on, the cell divides more frequently, which, as you might imagine, plays an important role in cancer where cells divide uncontrollably, often forming solid masses called tumors. Now, under normal circumstances, the MAP kinase pathway is switched on as a result of growth factor binding to receptors on the cell surface. And the release of these growth factors from other cells or even the cell in question is usually tightly regulated. So if you go back to the diagram we just drew, you know, your receptor being activated, this is a this is a tightly regulated process. And it's not to be switched on all the time, especially not a pathway which causes cells to divide. Because that's not something you always want. So the main time the MAP kinase pathway is switched on is in development and wound repair. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of cell division going on in the transition from an embryo to a child and from a child to an adult. That's what I mean by development. And in wound repair, if you injure yourself, well, the wound's got to be fixed. You've got damaged cells they need replacing. Ergo, you get cell division. And given how dangerous uncontrolled cell growth could be, there are plenty of checks and balances which exist to prevent its inappropriate activation, such as kind of cellular suicide, things go badly awry. And if you want to look this up ahead of time, and I'm going to get into this next week, it's called apoptosis, A-P-O-P-T-O-S-I-S. But when these checks and balances are disrupted, the MAC kinase pathway signal gets jammed at the on position, this results in cancer. And it's 
essentially this inappropriate signaling that tells cells to keep dividing and not die, which underpins the foundation of cancer. And that's really what we're going to pick up from next week. So just kind of uh, review what we've been through so far. Kind of introduced the cell and talked about the components within the cell. We've looked at DNA and how DNA is made up of genes and how genes make proteins. And also how these proteins function, amongst other things, in these signaling cascades. An important one of those is the MAP kinase pathway, because that leads to cell division. And if cells divide, and that signal when they go wrong is switched off, and they don't die as a result of being essentially broken, you have this inappropriate aberrant cell division, which can lead to formation of tumors, therefore cancer. So anyway, I want to wrap it up right there for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you tune in next time. And thank you so much for your attention. Goodbye. Goodbye.